Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Topper. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and Attention Coach Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD and Social Anxiety, Point Counterpoint. And with us in our virtual studio is Dr. Sharon Selene. Uh Before we get into our show tonight, a uh, few quick announcements. First, we want to thank uh, children and adults with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder uh, for supporting our show. And in celebration, we are anxious to give away two digital copies of Attention Magazine. To get yours, listen to our show. We'll share a secret word several times. Write it down. Listen to another show. Write down the secret word of that show and then email me both secret words. Uh, the email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. And when we get it, we will process it and get you a PDF copy of actually the current edition of Attention Magazine. And we'll have the uh, next edition sent to you as well. We have a little tip that we're going to share that Chad's prepared, and uh, we'll get into the show. Are you a young adult newly diagnosed with ADHD or who is transitioning to independent adulthood? We know all too well the highs and lows that come with independently managing your ADHD. Chad's Adult to Adult Education and Training Program offers self-paced and on-demand training courses to support you in living and thriving with adult ADHD. To learn more, visit us at chad.org. Thank you so much, Chad, for your continued support. For those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage all of our listeners to either donate or become members to support Chad. Financial stability is really important for them to have the resources to have people lobbying uh, on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that uh, those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. So with us in our virtual studio is uh, Dr. Sharon Saline. Uh She has focused her work on ADHD, anxiety, learning differences, and mental health challenges and their impact on school and family dynamics for over 30 years. Her unique perspective, a sibling of a child who wrestled with untreated ADHD combined for decades of academic excellence and clinical expertise, assist her in guiding family as they navigate from a confusing age of diagnosis and conflict to successful interventions and connection. Sharon uh, funnels uh, this expertise uh, into her book, What Your ADHD Child Wishes You Knew, uh, Working Together to Empower Kids for Success in School and Life. Basically, her this book is really amazing. You should, you should really go check it out. I think you'll learn a lot from it. You can uh, you can get that from her website, which you'll share in a minute, and Amazon. Uh, she's an international lecturer and a workshop facilitator. Uh, you can learn more about Sharon by going to her website at D-R-S-H-A-R-O-N-S-A-L-I-N-E. And with that, Sharon, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. It's great to be here, as always. I love being able to be on your show and talk with you about ideas and and daily experiences of living better with ADHD. 
Absolutely. And I appreciate you reaching out to us on this topic. So everybody, I want to set the stage for this. When you have some issues out there, you go, there's, there's therapists or psychologists or there's coaches today. And today what we really want to do is we want to talk about social anxiety and, um, uh, Dr. Celine, she's she's a mental health professional. I'm just a coach. I got like a C in psychology 101, but I'm just a coach. And what we <laughs> want to do is we want to talk about social anxiety and frame it out in different ways. In one sense, I'm hoping that we're going to give you some context. In another sense, hopefully we want kind of confuse you a little bit, but we want to give you a sense of this and perspectives. And one of the things I want to be kind of clear about as we get into, we're going to be talking about social anxiety, but it's a coach. As I learned this from Sharon, <clears throat> worry is worry. Anxiety is the physical manifestation of worry. And I've learned over the years that some people have some issues or some trauma or something in their lives that is so deep that they need, they, they need to see a therapist to work through that. A coach is not, not for that. In fact, a lot of times when I'm working with somebody and we're not making progress, I will – be asking the person about some things and it'll unearth some things. Wait a second. I think you need to go see a therapist because there's something there that's kind of getting our way. So as we talk about this, I think you need to understand that. I also want to describe, I was, a, I swam under a guy named Doc Councilman. You guys don't know who that is. He's coach Mark Spitz. He was one of the best coaches of all time. In fact, in 1970 on paper in a, on a dual meet in like in August of 1970, Indiana university swim team against the rest of the world. Indiana would have won. That's how strong they were. And my, my coach had a doctor's in physics. And later in life, I became a master swim coach. And I used to talk to swimmers and try to coach them about their stroke. And sometimes I would talk about Bernoulli's principle, the, the way airplanes take off, the principle of all that, to, to try to help them with their stroke mechanics. And some of the engineers would love that stuff. I mean, they would eat it all up. And other people would, like, look at me with glazed eyes. And for that crowd, sometimes I would just say, I want you to count the number of strokes, and I want you to get it down to 14. What I'm comparing and contrasting that situation is two very opposite ways of looking at some things, but for different people, it gets them to the same end. So these are my disclaimers as we get, kind of get into this stuff because I want to talk about this, but there's some things I'm going to be talking about, some coach's way of looking at. And Sharon's going to be talking about some of the ways she looks about at social anxiety, but you've got to make that distinction. I'm just a coach. She's a mental health professional, and even there's a lot of times a coach can only be so effective because the therapist really needs to do the job. So, Sharon, does that make sense to you? Is there anything else you'd like to add or just well, to sort of I would like to, I would like to I would like to take issue with the just a coach thing. Um, because I think that you're an incredible coach, Jeff, and you're very insightful about people and about um, you come up with, you know, fantastic interventions and tools to help people live more effectively and, satis and with satisfaction. Um, so I think one of the differences is that, you know, when you're talking to a psychologist, or a therapist and you're dealing with anxiety, you're really looking at um, the, you know, the sort of the intensity and the frequency of the anxiety. And I think you and I were going to talk today particularly about social anxiety. And so um, some, um, some, some of the symptoms of social anxiety overlap with the characteristics of ADHD, which can make the diagnosis and the treatment particularly complicated. 
Um, so people with ADHD who already struggle with understanding or missing social cues and wrestling with big emotions are particularly vulnerable for social anxiety. And what we want to understand, you know, when you want to think about seeking treatment or, you know, seeing a therapist is when um, the intensity and the frequency of your social anxiety is debilitating to you in a way that makes it really um, difficult to live the life you want. Um, Untreated anxiety combined with isolation and low self-esteem can quickly lead to depression. So when you are noticing that uh, you are, you know, kind of having these various symptoms of social anxiety, you want to ask how often, how much am I, am I, am I suffering and, and limiting myself in living the life I want? I'm glad you added that. Very well put distinctions. So I guess let's kind of start, from your perspective, what is social anxiety? Well, that's a great question. So social anxiety is defined as a distinct fear in one or more social situations where you are exposed to potential negative scrutiny from other people. And these worries about humiliation and rejection are persistent often lasting six months or more, and they restrict your activities, your interests, and your relationships. About 12.1% of adults experience social anxiety at some time in their lives, and it's one of the most common of all the anxiety disorders. So you said it's it's fear in one or more social situations of, uh, of I forgot what you said, um, Persistent. I'll say it again. Do you want me to say it again more yes, slowly? Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So um, it, 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 it's a distinct fear in one or more social situations where you are, are exposed to potential negative scrutiny from others. Okay. And these worries about humiliation and rejection are persistent, lasting often more than six months and restricting your activities, your interests and your relationships. Excellent, excellent. So when you say the word exposed to negative scrutiny, um, I'm kind of curious, there is, you're exposed to literally where people are making comments and it's very, very negative. But it is, would you say that's also you're exposed in as much as where you're there and a person is actually judging um, negativity from other people that may or may not be there? Would that be included in that from your perspective? Yes, would. Because what happens with social anxiety is you're not exposed in a way like, I mean, generally, it's not, uh, the scrutiny isn't, uh, oh, you know, good, because they're, you know, they're looking at me. The scrutiny is they are going to judge me negatively, and I want to avoid that negative judgment at all costs. So The belief, it's partially about the negative expectancy, like I expect that I'm going to get you know, bad stuff yep, coming yep. my way. So I want to avoid that situation. So from your perspective, like at a high, high, high level, um, when you're sitting and work with somebody, how do you approach it? How do you see working with people that are struggling with social anxiety from a psychological perspective? Well, that's, that's a really, um, that's a really great question. And so what I do is, is I first start with the, the approach that I take which is that tackling anxiety requires courage and patience. It's a tough competitor. 
It wants to keep you safe and secure. And so that means isolating yourself and not taking risks. In order to address social anxiety effectively, you're going to have to start to set small, reasonable goals that are within reach and be willing to experience some discomfort along the way. If you're not experiencing a little bit of discomfort, then you're not going to be able to develop the skills that you need to build the social confidence and connections you want. So what I do is I start have people pick one thing to work on, one thing. And um, essentially, we're not going to dismiss all social anxiety at once. And that's really important for people to understand. We're going to start small with one area. That way, when you can build some success in that area, you're able to move on to something else. So our goal is, is not to eradicate anxiety because that's unrealistic. We need anxiety to live as humans. It develops mm-hmm. to help us evolve, right? So we want to reduce its influence on our lives. So we were looking for easy wins to build a sense of security and self-esteem. So I'll ask people, what is the one thing you would like to do differently that's a big struggle for you right now? And we're going to focus on this goal over and over again and find someone who will be a support in that process. Maybe that's me. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's um, a parent, a friend, a spouse. You want to have an accountability partner because you're not going to be able to do this alone. And that's fine. You shouldn't have to. So in general, this is a generalization, when I'm working with somebody in this with ADHD in general. So I'm, I'm going to, this is how I work with them in totality, but then I'll bring them down to, to uh, social anxiety is number one. I talk about the brain as a two layer system. You have the automatic brain. That's the more primitive brain. That's the dopamine seeking brain. That's the emotional brain. And then you have the, the executive functioning brain, which is the thoughtful brain. And I talk about how it's very effortful for the thinking brain to override the more uh, primitive brain. I talk a little bit about um, emotions, and particularly in the fight, flight, or freeze response, that in order to survive, when we feel threatened, which is emotion, then we, we automatically go to fight, flight, or freeze, and our thinking brain's kind of taken offline, and how when you're in that instance, you can't even remember what to do. And you hear about first responders, the first thing you got to do is don't panic and don't spawn. And I, I talk about that a little bit, and I talk about how when our emotions are ignited, what happens is, is we 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 jump, our thinking brain's taken offline and we jump to conclusions. We jump and we dwell on outcomes. It's like, and I describe it as a reflexive response. And I try to describe this to people in a vivid way so that they can kind of get it. You walk into the doctor's office and when he hits you with that hammer, your knee is going to reflexively kick out. And the only way it's not is if you're going, if you try to inhibit it. And the idea here is when we're managing emotions is when we, feel a trigger, we have this thing, often we skip over the analytical part and we jump to kind of conclusions. And people with ADHD over a period of time, they've had maybe some negativity in their life where they were said, no, don't do this or whatever. And they begin to have this pattern in the past. And when they get into an environment and that trigger set, their emotions kind of jump to that conclusion. And I say, when that happens, 
really what we have to do is we have to pause and we've got to down-regulate your emotions and bring your thinking brain back online to problem-solve. And we've done a show. We, we interviewed Autumn Zatani a couple of years ago from uh, Sesame Street talking about how they taught this to preschoolers, et cetera. And I kind of say this process is ubiquitous. It's, you, you notice that emotion. You pause. You breathe. You count to 10. You bring your thinking online, and then you analyze it. And, and, and to a certain extent, you're doing the same way, kind of similar, but I, I try to help them understand that. I say, now, when you're going into a social situation, you can't have the negativity, but often, have you ever noticed a lot of times you're projecting a judgment back on yourself? In other words, people aren't saying it. You're jumping to a conclusion that you're being uh, judged negatively. And though, as I talk to them about that, though, often they'll begin to acknowledge some kind of some of that stuff. And so then from a coaching perspective, I turn to them and say, okay, how are we going to catch yourself and notice when you're in an emotional state? And then once you down regulate, how are we going to get you to think about this? How are we going to get you to like, does the person really mean that? Am I misreading their body language and really kind of problem solve and have them help brainstorm with me? But I want to pause here for a second and get your thoughts on this. Uh, Sharon, uh, any questions or anything to add or any other just general thoughts on it? Well, I think that, you know, when you're talking about uh, the two levels of the brain, um, the, there is a piece that I, for me that I talk about, which is the, the physiological brain, the reptilian brain. And mm-hmm. that's the brain that has to do with our heart rate and our breathing. It keeps us alive. And when, when the emotional brain, when the amygdala, which is responsible for that fight, flight, or freeze response, you know, comes out of where it should be in, 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 its, um, in its place. And, you know, in my, I use similar language, but it kind of takes over the thinking brain and the thinking brain goes to the Bahamas for a while. We want to get that emotional brain back. And, but the thing is, when that emotional brain takes over, it brings along that physiological response, that physiological brain. And there's a, there's, um, there's a bodily response that is often, um, it, it, that often elevates and exacerbates whatever um, people are feeling. So we'll see you know, increased heart rate. We'll see sweating. Yep. We'll see shortness of breath. And people are often freaked out by those physiological symptoms. And so in, what we ha- in order, yes, we want to get the thinking brain back, but sometimes we have to deal directly with the physiological symptoms before we can even get to, you know, bring the thinking, line back, the thinking brain back online. And this is where when we're dealing with anxiety of any social anxiety or phobias that we have to do very titrated exposure therapy. So, for example, um, you know, when I say start small, let's say we want to master a challenge that's within your reach before you take on a bigger challenge. So, for example, if you're uncomfortable talking to anyone outside of your family but you want to make some friends, expecting yourself to message someone from your, from your, from your work um, is, is, um, is, is, is too big an ask. It's, um, you know, to, to say, hey, let's go get a latte. That is way too much. Instead, like what's the first small step you could make to ask someone you don't know a question or make a response? Could you contact um, a coworker with a question about a project? Uh, could you ask them how they are doing? 
you know, what is, a, what is one small thing that you can do? And I've worked with a number of people with ADHD and social anxiety and, and really how they had to start with saying, like, hey, how are you doing today? That was mm-hmm. all they could handle. And mm-hmm. then the next thing was, I'm going to get coffee. Would you like one? We got mm-hmm. to that. And then the third thing was, do you, on, we have this break at the same time. Want to go get coffee? You know, we, it, it just took a while to sort of practice that. And then they would have to, you know, let me know how that went. Yep. And then if they couldn't do it, why? So um, we, want to, we want to strengthen the ability. So, yes, there's analysis of what happens when you're in a social anxiety meltdown, but there's also a strategy. So that's also true. We want to, and we want to have a very simple strategy to tackle the very first part of a larger challenge. Absolutely. A lot in that for time. I want to go to a break real quick and we'll come back and pick up where we are on that. For our listeners out there, our secret word tonight is counterpoint. Again, our secret word is counterpoint. And please check out, um, Sharon's website at drsharonsaline.com. That's D-R-S-H-A-R-O-N-S-A-L-I-N-E.com. With that, we'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Do you worry when your child is left out? Does your child have trouble making and keeping friends? Life skills can be challenging for ADHD kids. Learn how you can be your child's greatest ally by reading the book Ned Hollowell described as a game changer, Michelle Borba referred to as the ultimate guide for parents, and Michael Thompson praised as the groundbreaking book you've been waiting for. Go to playbetterplan.com to buy a copy of Caroline McGuire's book, Why Will No One Play With Me? While you're there, subscribe to download her free mini-course on developing social skills for children. That's playbetterplan.com. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change your lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by gigcoaching.com. And now back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Dr. Sharon Sleen having a conversation about social anxiety and having just a kind of conversation contextually to kind of help understand maybe a psychologist's point of view and a coach's point of view. And what I really took from the, the beginning of it is we come from kind of different places, but we're very there's we're using different language on different things. But when you're in an emotional state, A, you, you've got to kind of down regulate, you actually deal with the physiological stuff that's kind of going on and think. And the idea really is to kind of start small and kind of work your way through that. And, and you know, Sharon, one of the things that, that, that we'll do often is when you, people, we're dealing with people in a social situation, they'll tell me about their anxiety and stuff like that. Then I go back and I said, well, tell me about a time in your life where you had a social interaction. It was really, really easy. And I'll listen for that. And I'll listen for the characteristics of maybe what they're doing. Maybe they were asking curious questions or maybe they were making a statement or maybe it was chit chat or 
I'm looking for the characteristics of it. I'll you know, tell me another time. And then I start to mirror back and say, you know, I'm hearing that in the past you've been able to do this when you were talking to somebody by just asking a question about them as opposed to maybe make a statement about fact and stuff. And the idea here is really to kind of help them begin to reflect back on times of success and try to listen for the commonalities of that as a means to help them get a starting point um, positive way. And, and then we, we, we start slow like that. Then, then when they say something, we begin to say, how could you imagine doing this to a friend? I think it's very similar to what you're saying. We go back and try to find a success and then we try to find something they're comfortable with and then find a target where they could be successful um, in a very, in, in, kind of in your realm, in a way that, that, that they're more comfortable with. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, that's a, that's a tool that developed, um, that was developed a long time ago in the narrative therapy realm, which is we look at a past success and we take those traits and we apply them to a present situation. And that's, that's important because, you know, all you, if you're going to try to like deal with the content of the anxiety every time you're going to play whack-a-mole and that's not going to help you. What you want to do is figure out what what sorts of um, beliefs, behaviors, and conditions helped you succeed in that situation that you could apply to this current situation. Um, the other thing is that I, when you're in the middle of a panic attack or you're lost in a shame spiral, um, but which are both related to social anxiety, becoming aware of your physical body and your breathing is your ticket out. It helps the, um, the emotional brain, the amygdala, slow down and get back to where it needs and bring and allow the uh, thinking brain to come back online. Because when people are feeling anxious, their breathing often becomes very shallow and their adrenaline is what's driving the this system of their body and that is the fight flight or freeze response usually fight or flight um freeze is a little bit different so you have to get grounded to slow your energy down and this is where mindfulness comes in you can place a hand on your chest or one on your belly and breathe into your hands noticing their weight and imagining that with each breath you're breathing in a soothing color you want to do this several times um, you know set the timer for two minutes and do that or maybe use alternate nostril breathing for from yoga for five rounds um, this is is going to start to signal to your physiological body that that things are safe that things are okay and you can you can you can slow down I, I want to just mirror exactly what you said. Everybody, I referenced earlier, if you go Google Attention Talk Radio Sesame Street, again, we did an interview with Autumn Zatani in, in 2014, and uh, Autumn is in charge of Sesame Street's curriculum, the TV show, the app, everything. And in season 43, they focus on self-regulation. Part of that's emotional self-regulation. And in that interview, you'll hear basically what Sesame Street did is they used the, the Muppets to help the preschoolers begin to identify emotions. In other words, begin to name them, if you will, and to notice how it felt in their body so that when they would feel their body like that, pit of their stomach or anxiety, they would pause and they would belly breathe and then they would count in order to kind of deal with it. And I'm, I'm just sharing this with, because I, you know, Sharon, you're, you're basically kind of describing what they're trying to 
teach preschoolers to do to get grounded in that situation. And so what she's describing really, I mean, we've got lots of shows on that. And then the other thing that I've been doing recently is when, when I'm dealing with um, just adults in general with emotions is, is to practice. And as Sharon said, mindfulness is to be good to notice it and practice it. So a lot of times I'll have my, uh, my clients just in general go watch a movie that's particularly emotional. Like for me, it's like the uh, Star Wars movies or something like that. And you sit there and the really action items you can begin to, if you notice, you can feel your body, your your heart rhythm kind of go up. And I practice kind of catching myself in those moments and breathing and kind of kind of kind of calming my body down. Same thing as I actually had some some clients during the uh, presidential election. Um, if you were for one candidate, you watch the news source of the opposite one as it means to practice. I mean, literally like an exercise, practice kind of catching your emotion, practice breathing and practice kind of kind of calming down. So again, I'm just sharing that with uh, the listeners because what Sharon was saying spot on. And we've, we've had so many experts mirror that in just different ways. Make sense, Sharon? Yes, of course. And, and, you know, um, we we are teaching the same tools in terms of self-regulation from early on all the way through the lifespan because we the human body is is still str- is going to struggle with the same issues um from a neuro uh from a neurological and a a, a physical space i think when we're you know we're discussing uh, social anxiety the thing that is really important right now is that you have to practice your social skills, even if you don't want to. And to to sort of counter your natural tendency for isolation by having a three- to five-minute conversation with someone outside of your household at least three times a week. I mean, my recommendation would be every day or twice a day, but that's a lot for some people. So at least three times a week. It can be on Zoom or FaceTime, on the telephone, or even safely distanced in person, but we we need to make real-time contact with someone that isn't texting because we have to sense their responses. We have to have them see our responses. This is what builds those essential skills that combat that those negative beliefs that you feel like someone's judging you because you are actually gaining tools to perceive how someone is responding to you instead of the inventions that are going on in your head. And it, in order to do that, it helps to make a list. Who are the parent? Who are the people that I could talk, have an in-person phone call with three times a week? Is it, um, you know, are there relatives, cousins, grandparents, siblings, parents, uh, aunts, uncles, uh, distant or local friends? Even if you only have a few of them, um, people you like who moved away. Um, you can't really improve how you connect with someone or read their emotional state via text. And this is exactly the skill that people with um, social anxiety need to develop. You can even think about what you want to say in advance or write some questions down if you're really nervous. This is interesting to me, the way you frame that out. So one of the things that, that I talk a lot about when I'm coaching adults with ADHD is I really talk a lot about working memory, a lot mm-hmm. of which I learned from Dr. Russell Barkley, being two sides, the visual imagery, the vision, the picture mm-hmm something in your mind and verbal working memory, um, the self-talk in your mind. And what's right. striking me is when I'm working with people is as I, again, my frame is when we get in that emotion, we get into that state, we've got to kind of pause and down regulate, but then we actually have to think 
And one of the challenges of ADHD is to begin to visualize conversations in the future and how they interact and actually think through that. And what I think is really powerful about what both of us do is we're actually, when we're having a conversation with people about what you would say, what you would do, we're asking them questions that are actually helping them think through what that would look like in the future and to get that visual image so that they can actually process that and actually execute that. Does that make sense to you? I mean, Absolutely. And I think that is a similarity. You know, one thing I would like to say to your listeners is again, this, what absolutely coaches uh, can deal with anxiety as mental health clinicians. The issue is the extent and intensity and the frequency of the anxiety that you're feeling. Um, the, the, because some anxiety is normal in everyday life. Mm-hmm. And when we cross over from sort of the, the, the median of you know, just regular, typical, everyday anxiety to more debilitating, intensely frustrating, panic attack type of anxiety, then it's good to get um, to see a mental health practitioner. Um, the other thing that I want to I, I want to say is that um, untreated anxiety leads to has been found over and over again to lead to depression, and so um, it's good to keep your finger on the pulse and just witness a little bit your anxiety. How often is it is it showing up? What are you not doing that you would like to do because of your anxiety? These are things that you um, can can work on and identify with a coach or a therapist. Brilliant. Need to go to a break. Um, come back. Um, Sharon, I'd like to kind of talk about, like, communications these days and socialization a little bit in the realm of, mm-hmm. like, when I grew up, we all talked, and there's more digital communication, which I think is really interesting. Um, again, let's go to break. We'll come back, and we'll touch base on that. Again, our secret word tonight is counterpoint. Um, and everybody, go check out uh, Sharon's website at D-R-S-H-A-R-O-N-S-A-L-I-N-E.com. And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com. Dot com slash ATR. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? <laughs> Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Dr. Sharon Celine having a great conversation about social anxiety. Uh, before the break, um, 
we're talking about this, and I'm, I'm honestly, I love being the host of Attention Talk Radio because I get to ask the experts. I always get to learn something. And it kind of occurred to me as, as you were, Sharon, you were talking about getting out and practicing with people. When you're in the presence of somebody, there's a lot of nonverbal communication that's going on in terms of tone, body language, mannerisms, and stuff that's lost in the digital world. And I know when I'm working with people, I'm sometimes actually helping them to begin to read body language or to change their body language to communicate different things in social situations in order to see if there's a response. But one of the things that's been interesting to me is particularly the younger people that I coach that are that have are growing up texting and missing so much of the nonverbal feedback that it seems to me it makes it more difficult for them not to judge responses. What are your, what's your experience and thoughts on that? Well, Jeff, I think you're right on here. I mean, you cannot take an emotional, you know, an emotional weather report, so to speak, via text. You just, you can't, you see the words, um, you, you're, you're not getting any of the, uh, of the extras that we need to understand uh, what people are, are, are actually all the other things that they're showing, what people are communicating outside of the actual word speaking. And that's an important piece of connection. Um, and, and it's an also really important piece of conversation. So, you know, like texting can be useful for short things, but to convey, like when people have these, you know, I know teenagers in particular, they have these, you know, huge dramas, you know, breakups on texting that are like 200 messages. And it would, you know, the whole thing could be changed, minimized, or perhaps, you know, completely um, erased, you know, just, you know, erased. If you just picked up the phone, called someone, or did a Zoom or a FaceTime and talked to them, because then you can read what's going on. You can't really do that with texting. And so I, for one, really am a, a, a proponent of not having meaningful conversations via text, uh, because you really are, 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 are much more likely to misinterpret things or mm-hmm. be misinterpreted. I, <laughs> I'm a little bit older than everybody out there back in the dinosaurs. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that's frustrating because so many people want to have a conversation over text and, and so much is so much communication lost. And sometimes I think it comes down to really advocating and being out there to kind of advocate for that conversation as opposed to being lulled into text. It's just because everybody does it because as you say, there's lack of that emotional weather report, which makes it even that much more difficult. It seems like to me for somebody with social anxiety, to even deal kind of digs them in a hole. So it's not an easy thing to get out, but necessary in the process and necessary to actually practice um, not only approaching everybody, but actually reading social skills. Um, Cause I know as I, you get to know, how often you misinterpret maybe somebody's body language, it makes it a lot easier, at least for me, when I'm dealing with somebody in text to realize it might not be the way that I think that I'm interpreting it. At least that's my perspective. Thoughts? I, I agree. And I think one of the things that, that we have to do, um, particularly in, in, in over this last year, and I don't know when this will air, and I'll probably go into your archives, but you know, this is the end of 2020 right now. And, um, and there's been a lot, a, a lot of people have not been able to communicate in person. And I think that's taken a toll on relationships. Um, but I also see this other amazing thing that's happened is where um, particularly adults have been reaching out to people from their past 
you know, I wonder how so-and-so is doing, and then maybe finding them on Facebook or digging out their email and saying, hey, I'd love to chat. You know, I personally had a conversation with someone I haven't seen since, you know, in 18 months. My husband hasn't seen in five years. You know, and it was so great. We were on the Zoom for like two hours, (laughs) and it was wonderful. So I I think that, you know, the technology offers us a, a way to connect that we haven't had before. It also limits our connections. And it's, of course, mm-hmm. it comes down to balance, mm-hmm. you know, how we balance um, face-to-face conversations with, with other kinds of, 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 of yep. interactions, whether it's texting or Snapchat or something like that. One of the things I, I want to do, I want, God, I wish we could do like a whole other hour of this, but at the beginning we started talking about um, – fear of one or more social situation about exposure to negative scrutiny. And we've been, I've been talking a little bit more on the self-judgment side, but when it comes to ADHD, there are, are often negative uh, scrutiny that's actually expressed. I think one of the keys there that what I'm looking at is if you have ADHD, one of the keys is to begin to understand your ADHD and manage your ADHD. Cause a lot of times I'm working with people, you know, they're kind of lost in their head and they're caught in their head. And if they're not managing their ADHD, they can go in social situations and try all they want. But if they don't manage their ADHD, it's hard to deal with the negative scrutiny because it's there as a result of that. What are your thoughts on that? Jeff, I, I completely agree. People with ADHD tend to be intense and social anxiety, but not exclusively with the social anxiety piece, but tend to be very self-critical. And I think that's because they've heard negative comments about how they've missed the mark or what, you know, they could do better for years and years and years. And starting as a young child, those voices have been internalized. And so now they, um, they say those things to themselves. And that negative self-talk by far is the worst enemy when tackling any type of anxiety. Um, and I think it's important to counteract this negative self-talk by coming up with some phrases that you could say to yourself that are encouraging. Something you might say to a third grader who skinned their knee. I mean, I say to my clients all the time, would you say this to someone who was a third grader? And they're like, no. And I said, but you say it to yourself. Yes. And that is the place where we need to work. Why do you deserve to hear things you wouldn't say to a third grader who's having a hard time? And that's really important. And it's important for people to write down some of these phrases that they could say to themselves that are uh, encouraging or, uh, or accepting or even self-soothing when they are feeling stressed. That, you know, write them on their phone, write them on post-its, put them in their room or their car or at the bulletin board at their desk. And it sounds corny, but this is how we're going to counteract that negative voice that tells you you can't take a chance or you can't try something different because you're not going to make it. Everybody, we're, I'm going to just I'm splintering with, with just ideas here. It's, it's a little less structured. But, you know, Sharon, one of the things I've worked with people with ADHD and when they are in a social situation and all eyes turn to them, they, they, they kind of freeze often because their working memory, they have all these thoughts, they're bombarded and they can't get in the order and they sequence and they stutter, blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's difficult for them and they get that motion. And I've had a lot of them where I like, you know, if you just say in some of those situations, give me a moment to think out loud or can I think out loud by asking permission? This is, 
This is a very simplistic example of how managing your ADHD can kind of help you because they've been told in the past that they talk too much or they're all over the place. But a lot of times you have to talk out loud to kind of get your thoughts together to actually make a response. And if you're aware of that in the right situation, not always the wrong, you can actually say, give me a second. I got to get my, collect my thoughts together out loud. And if you ask that and people give you permission, you're kind of allowed to do that. Now, Again, I'm just using this as a very narrow, small example is we have an ADHD issue, a challenged working memory, and you're put on the spot. What do you do with that? And Because in those situations, sometimes you have a hard time remembering. But if you begin to understand is that it's normal for you to talk out loud and you're comfortable with the right environment and you can process it, now you're managing your ADHD and there's a chance that you won't get the negative scrutiny. Again, that's a very simplistic thing of what that looks like. But that's how actually managing your ADHD can actually help you in the social situations because you've got to own that and you've got to do something about it. Is there anything you want to add? Or- Absolutely. No, I love that. And there are a few, there are a few reasons why I think that works. So I, I, when I do something similar, you know, for example, I'll say to people, well, that's a really good question. You could respond, that's a good question or that's a good point. Um, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. Because what happens is when you are flooded anxiety or, you know, when, when that fight or flight or freeze mechanism happens, your body is, is there's just a ton of, of yep. adrenaline. And so you start to, you, there's a sort of a panic and intensity. You want to slow the system down. And the way you're going to slow everything down is by asking for time. And so you can say, hey, let me think about that. I'll get back to you. Or that's a really good question. I'm not sure. Give me a few minutes and I'll come back with the answer. Like it's uh, you, and we have to practice saying that with your coach or your therapist or a loved one or a colleague, so that you don't feel ashamed to do that. See, it's the shame piece that comes in around with uh, you know. It's like the adrenaline brings the shame in. They're holding hands. They're skipping and jumping all around your brain. And instead, what you want us to do is separate them. You know, I don't know. That's okay. I'm not a bad person yep. because I need more time or yep. because I don't know. It's I find I'm actually coaching a senior vice president of a software company, and they're in high-level meetings, and sometimes everything will turn. And we've come up with a strategy when they when somebody asks a question, okay, they ask, they go coach like, well, what does that look like again? I, I, want, I want to make sure that I'm understanding your question. They repeat it back to all this stuff that we're talking about is just to buy them time to manage the emotion and kind of process through and kind of think through it. Again, the idea here really is, is you've got ADHD. The idea is focus, manage it on some of that stuff so you can get strategies that, to manage your ADHD, to get rid of the negative scrutiny so you don't project in judgment back on yourself because this kind of can get all webbed together after a while. And the idea really is to, to practice this thing, as Sharon said. Just I'm a very athletic-minded type person. Just like an athlete, if you want to develop a skill, you've got to practice it. And the only way to do that is get out and make that happen. I, I just want to say, in, yep. in, in addition, we, you want to slow it down. And uh, um, reflective listening or, or repeating is a great tool. Let me make sure I understand what you said. And then you repeat it, which, and then you wait. And if they say yes, then you've now repeated it so that it can stay in your working memory, transfer down the line a little bit, um, down into the long-term memory, so you have a chance to pull up something from that Rolodex of your memories and your, your intelligence and your thoughts and apply it. 
rather than than have an impulsive reaction, which may or may not be the thing you actually want to say or do. So to bring this together, at the end of the day, this has helped me with this distinction. If you're if you have ADHD and you struggle with social anxiety, one side of it is is to own your ADD, get some help to manage it, so that when you're in those social situations, you're managing your ADHD in a better way, so you're not open to the negative scrutiny because you're managing your ADHD. That's one side of it. The other side is going into those and and working on the social side and anxiety and practice like how you're going to interact with them, how you read body language. Those are really kind of, they, they feel the same, but we separate those two to kind of compartmentalize them and practice them a little bit. And the more and more we're having this conversation, there's slight differences, but we're really getting to the same place to kind of help those with ADHD parcel the stuff out to make it happen. So any last things before, or thoughts or insights before we bring this to a close? Yes. Yes, I want to say something about medication um, because I think that there there is a very important role for medication for people with ADHD who have anxiety. Uh, If you take medication for your ADHD, that very well might help you manage your anxiety because it will assist with um, the uh, both verbal and emotional uh, impulse control and the uh, the generating um, you know be, being able to um, generate uh, ideas that come from your past because you can your working memory may be making better and more effective connections and also there are many people who have ADHD who take um, uh, you know, medication that's geared toward anxiety specifically. Sometimes it's uh, the SSRIs, Prozac, Zoloft, Lexapro, Alexa. Sometimes people take Boost Bar. There are, or sometimes Wellbutrin. There are a number of medications. And I think that if, you know, you have been working very hard and you're working with a terrific coach like Jeff or a good mental health clinician and you're not making the progress, that it's worth considering whether medication is something that you want to consider or adjust. I thank you so much for for covering that. And I, I, I forgot about that, but you're spot on. So so with that, Sharon, I, I loved having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. And I, I, it's a great pleasure to speak with you. And I learn some things, too, always when I talk to you, which is why I love uh, coming on to uh, Attention Talk Radio. Thank you. Well, I love that. Like I said, I've, I've learned a ton myself. So, everybody, go check out Sharon's book and her website, com. Our secret word tonight is counterpoint. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Attention Talk Radio. Catch us next week.